0: it's been a couple of weeks, but we're back here for another episode of the Rogue Retro Smackdown review here, the April 20th, 2000 episode. You know, backlash is fast approaching and some big developments are coming our way on the road to that pay-per-view. And I am Scott McLeod, your usual host, and I'm joined by the man who I had to take some time away with to try and work on the article that he wants me to do. I've still only got two out of the five points he wants from me. Uh, He's finished sitting on Modern 2020 WWE and he's now to talk about, I I fondly remember time for the company, uh, as the one and only Samuel Preston.
1: Yes, I do do have moments of nostalgia and whimsical delight when I watch these episodes thinking, ah, a storyline that made sense. I love that uh I think we having sat through twenty twenty one I very much needed to retreat back to the golden days of two thousand when I was a ten year old and knew no better and now I get to appreciate even
0: more you do indeed and there is a lot to cover with these two episodes the raw uh, this is one of those things where there's so much happening on raw and I always want to keep the raw section that I recap brief but you know this this is a big thing happening sam you know how we complain about 15 20 25 minutes sometimes promos from triple h taking up time on on television
1: i remember them well
0: yeah i ain't got shit on what happened on raw (laughs) oh god triple h was all over the shop i tell you 27 minutes happened on raw until we got something non-triple h related and then he was back then he had other segments later on he was in the main event later on I think I calculated a combined, maybe 40, 45 minutes, maybe combined something to do with a McMahon or Triple H on Raw. It's almost a full, maybe more than a third of Raw was just all that. It was just, I mean, stuff that was noteworthy happened, at least I'm excited to talk about it, but you're really testing my limits here.
1: Yeah, it doesn't sound like it was anything like in 2013 or whatever it was with the authority appearing for 45 minutes on an episode war and fuck all happening.
0: Yeah, like this is a, a moment I've I remember not even knowing that going to happen until one time I saw a compilation of the biggest pops in history and then went back and found out more about it. Uh, the opening to Raw was Triple H set to take on Chris Jericho in a non-title match, but then Jericho comes out and he doubles down on his uh, insults for for Stephanie. He says I want to. I, I last week I compared Stephanie to a bargain basement slut. And a trash bag hole. And I want to say, I'm sorry, to all the bargain basement sluts and trash bag holes for comparing them to Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> and then he says to Triple H, if he really wants to impress her, then he should put the WAF championship on the line, which Triple H inevitably does. And then Jericho says, I'm not an idiot, so I'm going to... Because he knows Triple H will probably have Shane or the members of DX to help him. So he hires himself a lot of protection. out come the acolyte to stand on the ramp and have Jericho's back. Uh, obviously, Triple H K kind of is very dominant for the most part in the match, you know. But Jericho then gets in the wall to Jericho, and as he's fighting off, that allows Mike Kyoda to be knocked down. I think there's a title belt shot at one point. Earl Hebner is the new referee when Triple H eventually gains conscious and realizes that he's very angry and starts shitting at Earl Hebner because obviously, in storyline they are the McMahon's in that heat. Uh, the decisions made by Earl Hebner, Shane gets involved there, AP you know, chasing him away. Uh, there's a bit of a shove between. Between Hebner and Triple H. Then there's a Bulldog and a, a Lion Salt by, by Jericho and Triple H. Hebner fast counts it. And one of the biggest pops you'll ever have. If you've not seen this moment, not heard the pop it gets, I recommend you go back and check out Jericho wins, in massive air quotes, the WR Championship. JR's going mental and oh, just Jericho is the WRA Champion. And uh, we go to commercial Rick thinking that Jericho is the champion. He's standing at the top of the ramp, posing with uh, the bell and with the APA. When I mean, we cut back from commercial, and both Mike Yoda and Hellhound are being dragged from the referee locker room by Shane and Triple H, and dragged back down to the arena. And they show the replay of it. And Triple H wants Mike Yoda to rule on what he thinks about the fast count for Hellhound because Mike Yoda was the assigned official, which they keep reminding us of. And uh, mike i'll say probably a few withdraw his and his integrity basically says to hebner like that was one of the fastest counts i've ever seen and so they let him leave and then they want earl hebner to reverse the decision but then he says like i don't want Bama referee so you know you showed me earlier on so i want you to make a promise that if i reverse the decision nobody will lay a hand on me and he says, and so he says fine as long as you're a wf show no one will lay their hands on you not me not shane not anybody and so he reverses the decision. And he forces Jericho to come out and hand the belt back over to Waitz. The title reign is null and voided. And then, as soon as Drohewitz gets a bit like he says, uh, "I forgot one more thing, uh, Earl. You're fired." And then he hits some Earl Hebner with a pedigree.
1: It's amazing the amount of detail included. Um, I actually have it that I remember this storyline so strongly when i started like literally the moment i started watching this episode and the intro came on for smackdown and i saw the bit with triple h's bad day i was like holy shit it's this moment and i remembered it so vividly and even now um it the pop is so brilliant and it was one of those moments where it was a proper shock for the audience. They were, in, they were instantly into it. And it's a, it's a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that Triple H got to basically have it reversed, and now having gets fired is a culmination of several weeks of build up, which is already making this m- more impressive than it would have been like, say two, three months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just engrossing television you can't help but be invested watching this and i can only imagine how much you enjoyed that episode of war
0: yeah because i can almost see what's happening like they keep saying as long as you're officially oh god it's not going to work out well for you Earl, And then he says oh but then now you're fired so now i'm going to beat the shit out of you and i know that's an important plot point yes so and as much as we sit on the whole rock pen and triple h and not being a champion the fact that it was earl making the count then Started the issues between him and Hebner, and we've seen every so often him and Earl getting each other's face, which is a thing that would actually continue for a good couple of years in the early 2000s. And now, obviously, Earl had to take after uh, the last week, weeks so like, I've had enough of this, and just like, fuck you, Triple H, and fast count some, uh, but then eventually has to obviously, go back on it. So they lull you in by thinking, oh, like, you you tuned in to start the Raw, thinking, like, you know, oh, geez, Jericho's won the belt, you stay tuned, obviously, see what happens. And obviously, after Earl gets screwed over, then you tune in to see, you like, hope hoping that Triple H eventually gets, you know, he's come up and for that. So it's a, it's a good way to kind of keep you invested. And yeah, this is the other thing that starts matter Triple H's bad day and everything. I just want a couple, a, a compilation of that, that, that scene, that like Triple H's getting shot by him or Linda man walking down, just all this over here, like, because you had a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> Camera, the fucking Linux
1: that oh. someone out there needs to make that video and need to send it to us and then we get to watch it before the next episode and just be like this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen I actually love that song as well so <laughs> if I got to see it with Triple H, I think I'll just oh, I, I'd be living the life of Riley I'm not going to lie I love it
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, you, oh, I'm trying, think, trying work it in there you, you lost the world title you had it <laughs> first and you hit an old man <laughs> uh, oh, I'm not. I'm not an artist, as you can tell.
1: But uh, oh, I, I I am surprised to hear that. I now have a better idea of why it's taking you so long to come up with two points for Steve Blackman, and still have three to go.
0: Oh yeah, that's 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 why. That's why. But things <laughs> got worse for two weeks later on because they kept having segments of a. Uh, you have that old trope of a uh, in the attitude a limo arrives and this time it's Linda McMahon. She's greeted by the steward and she teases. It's got an announcement regarding the rock and he having like shane and, and stephanie and all constantly appearing in the locker room going what is she here to talk about why she got to announce it regarding the rock they try and get shane to try and get the information out of her but she won't tell him anything and then she eventually goes to the ring and announces that i think it's a bit unfair with uh, stephanie and vincent trouble H's corner so she announces that i think the rock deserves to have someone in his corner and she announces it's going to be stone cold steve austin which, again, another massive pot from the crowd, another reason to watch By Glass if you weren't already going to watch it. And they uh, also Stephanie, Triple H and Shane come out, and they try to intimidate her and change her mind, but she won't do it. And Stephanie basically threatens that she's going to slap her mother again, but then she goes to do it, and then gets her arm caught, and then just smacked right in the face by Linda, who slaps her just so quickly, just hand-stop slap, and then her immediately going, oh, God, what have I done? You know, it's the best kind of acting you can expect from Linda. But then Triple H just grabs her to try and give her a pedigree and then Shane just goes into all because says, mum just fucking shoves Triple H. <laughs> uh,
1: that looked so chaotic and um, frenetic when I was watching the clips to it. And I have to say, I think Linda slapping Stephanie was probably one of the most cathartic moments of the last couple of months of episodes we've watched because the fact Stephanie's already slapped Linda, so she deserves it. So when it's like, um, trying to have sympathy for Stephanie, I'm like, no, this is the repercussions of her own actions. She, she has to deal with it. So I was cheering Linda on for finally getting revenge. And it was like, Oh no, she's just slapped her daughter. How can she do that? Well, probably cause her daughter's a bit of a cunt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Very much. Uh, and they, and they try and make her out to be the bad guy, especially Jerry Lawler, it. how could she slap her own mother, even though Cole and JR, like, well, she slapped her first, she slapped her a couple months ago, she was going to slap it again there. And I think they're teasing, obviously, issues between uh, Mann's, uh and Triple H, because obviously the whole thing of him, he was going to, Shane. obviously allied, she is obviously allied with him, but then also that's his mother and all that. Uh, also, later on, Cole, Michael Cole, in an interview before the main event, mentioned Triple H losing and Triple H deals. like, That never happened to the division. Jericho was never the WF champion. And the main event overall is DX of uh, Triple H, Xbox, and Road Dog taking on uh, Jericho and the Acolytes. With the heels, actually, went after Jericho gets pedigreed because, uh, as it seemed like, the DX had been run off by the APA. Bill Buchanan, the boss man, came out and attacked uh, the APA, which is setting up a tag match for Backlash. And we also. We've seen that the last couple of weeks that the Bill buchanan boss man were assigned or also aligned with the with dx and mcmahon's because they had that steel cage match against the rock a couple of weeks earlier uh buchanan boss man who also had a tight team we shot earlier night against and christian which ended in the dq and then kane came back to choke and Bill buchanan but that, that, but for some reason we're not getting any payoff for that backlash but I just put in my notes. DQ, DQ. If I know, I just put in all cats with multiple A's and multiple N's. Kane. <laughs> it's Kane. <Is> that a, <sighs> I don't remember Kane being written, now. I knew he wasn't at backlash, but I just assumed that meant he wasn't back till after backlash. No, then he just fucking pops up. <laughs> it sure
1: turns Noah. out he just—he's just like a magic card that you can suddenly throw out and say, like, um, "I will, I will sacrifice Bo Buchanan and bring back Kane." or something like that, and suddenly he just appears in a flame of glory. And then it's like, right, you've used your cane card, he cannot come back for three more weeks at least.
0: Yeah. Well, it was weird, when I was watching Raw, it looked like, you know, we're getting Edge and Christian V, Xbox and Roadrunners at Backlash, and APA versus Buchanan and Bossman, but the way the Raw was, was happening up until the end, and it looked like we were building to the opposite, like Edge and Christian V, Bossman and Buchanan and DX, and the APA which that one set would have made sense given that also they were helping Jericho and the other guys are aligned with with Triple H but then they set up the Edge and Christian one because also you had that I think again with Errol Hebner reversing the decision the tag tail match after there was a foot on the rope when DX looked like they won the tag belts and then Edge and Christian kind of walked backstage and then okay there's a bit of trash talk between them and DX and then DX just jumped them and decided okay and then we opened what's Matt doing this week saying oh the match has been made official for Backlash DX versus Edge and Christian
1: I have to admit, when uh, when SmackDown starts and we end up going into the first match, I one of the first things I wrote was, I'd say it's surprising that World Dog and X-Pac get a tag team title shot just because they attacked Edge and Christian, but I'd be lying. <laughs> it seems especially like the sort of thing that would happen for DX is that all they have to do is attack someone and they get a title shot. I thought it, it was a little bit daft, but it does mean that you get an opportunity to see the three best tag teams in the division, which is and Christian, Hardy Boys, and Dudley Boys, in different matches, as opposed to having them fight each other again. So it gives you a breather and allows you to get more matches on the card to hopefully strengthen the overall tag team division. So I get the idea behind it. I think it makes sense. But uh, the only problem is is that Road Dogg and X-Pac are already feeling very tired with their antics as DX, and I actually think in the opening match of SmackDown, it does feel like the beginning of the pun not attended backlash against them um, mm. because of how generic and boring they're getting in comparison to the much more exciting wrestlers now coming to the forefront.
0: Yeah, it, it does. You know, that the, the stick has definitely gotten old uh, at this point. Like, it's not even the point where people are still chatting along with Road Dogg because they're not as much anymore. But yeah, also we get a big, big recap of Triple H's bad day and then we go into Edge versus The Road Dog later on and we say that the match is official. Before I get into this match and start SmackDown, uh, something that's not really talked about nearly enough on SmackDown, even though it should be, we see also the Radicals at one point, but you'll notice De Malenko no light heavyweight title as he lost it to Scotty Too Hottie on Raw.
1: I, funny enough, I was thinking about... Um, that. I think there was a point where later on where Shane goes to talk to the Radicals, if I remember correctly, and the first thing I thought is, where's Dean Malenko's light like of title? And uh, obviously it has a brief moment where afterwards it explains what's happened, but I, I'm i not entirely sure why they have him having dropped the title to Scott, uh, Scotty D. Hottie. Um, over the next week or two especially, I will end up showing that I don't think it made much sense, but... I do feel that the ending is hopefully going to be worthwhile, but we'll get to that as and when.
0: Yeah, uh, Scotty did win the title on Raw. Uh, he was uh, dominated a lot in the match on Raw, and the fans were reaching him, and it was an interesting finish where he was a suplex off the top, and then Scotty managed to roll, roll his legs over and catch uh, Dean and a kind of a cradle pin, so kind of the upset win for Scotty. Uh, he does have a title defence on the next episode, so and between now and then, the only other time he really appears to defend the title is apparently there's a triple threat on Sunday night heat so he would have been at this taping because i think they Night Heat at the same time yeah uh, because you often see when they throw the print skirt up for weapons you can see that the heat logo is underneath it so he did manage to get a title defense sandwiched in between his next match with malenko but you know we'll talk a bit more about that next week but yeah it starts off with road dog versus edge uh, Road Dog tries to then jump Edge, a Star Bells and Backfires Edge gets the upper hand. Uh, slamming Road Dog into the barricade. Uh kind of back and forth. Very very much a quick start. Uh, uh, quick start. We're used to these very quick T V matches. It's interesting because you know, Edge and Christian are both kind of the workhorses. Uh, can be both can be considered workhorses, but I think Christians considered more the underrated kind of worker of the team. So him versus X later on I was excited for. This is a weird matchup between Road Dogg and Edge. I wasn't sure what how it would go, and then uh, there was a reversal of in by Road Dogg, and he grabs the tights for the win. That uh, was a quick thing to start off, but you know, I don't have mu- that much really to say about it.
1: Um, uh, I have a brief moment. Brief notes really in regards to this one. I did kind of like um, the fact that Edge kicked off the match by hitting World Dog with a diving elbow. I thought it showed that he was quite intelligent and knew what um, World Dog is like, that he was likely to go for the attack. Um, it's a nice little hint, I think, to the intelligent little plans that Edge and Christian will demonstrate over the next couple of months. Um, Edge is in relative, uh, relatively in control for the majority of the match. And so it feels a little bit strange that road dog, even though technically like they said, he pulled the tights. from the position I was looking, it looked like a relatively clean pin, which made it even weirder. Um, I can kind of accept road dog winning because he does have experience as a singles wrestler, including being an intercontinental champion, but I still think he's crap. So Road Dogg in a match is something that I'm I'm not really looking forward to, and this match just demonstrates that he's a bit forgettable as a wrestler.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I, I agree. So I don't really, I don't often look forward to Road Dogg matches because they're not the most enjoyable to to watch for me. Let uh, me get into a Triple H segment because, of course, we do. <laughs> uh, also, I was going to say about the match uh, like you said like Edge being in control that doesn't seem to be a run theme with TV matches this year somebody gets a lot of offence uh, probably to make them look strong when somebody out of nowhere gets the win over them there's always the person that loses that gets the most offence
1: yeah which I, I don't think actually ends <laughs> up helping either one because it makes the winner look lucky and it makes the loser look a little bit daft um, yeah and, and also it just gets repetitive
0: mm-hmm yeah, pretty much. Dribble uh, H also comes out with Stephanie, and talks about you know the whole idea of Raw being a bad day. Said it wasn't. So the books won't show him being screwed by an incompetent official. I won't show that like like Jericho was never the WWE champion. Uh, something we should, actually I mentioned is Jericho hasn't made clear in his book. Uh, his second book, Undisputed, to be more specific, that the day uh, of TV at Raw where he was, where he won the well, almost won the title and then the decision was reversed he was planning on quitting the company. And also, like came with this idea for this angle and he went, oh, okay, and then he was kind of feeling a bit sad that it wasn't going to count. And then Vince did him that one day he'd win the belt back. Uh it was interesting because which also makes it makes his comments a year or a bit later, when he's overheard by a uh, take overheard with Taker saying that, well, this is a sign that the business is going to choose if we're putting a belt on Jericho. So yeah, that means one or two things. Either Vince was lying about Jericho ever when the belt back and then goes kind of reluctant into this and 2 and doesn't want to put the belt on him. Or maybe you could tell that Jericho was a near shot and was trying to take the piss out of him.
1: Well maybe Vince is just a bit of a douchebag.
0: That's always the option. That's the option I'm going with. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how jericho was convinced just from this one night uh to stick around. Uh but then he says about what happened with linda and they're trying to get her as a bag and he said you know if we have children Stephie, i don't think i'd ever feel comfortable letting linda you know, watch them and they talk about Austin Mina and they say it's unfair and they say to get back at jericho and the rock as they're their most hated at the minute and put them in a lumberjack match later on and then this privilege is wrapping up out comes the ecw champion taz uh, Sam, I don't know how much you remembered about uh, this, but Taz appearing on Dahlia Television's A belt. Were you surprised watching this match? Do see Taz come out as ECW champion?
1: Um, when I originally watched it back in 2000 and I was just starting to learn about ECW, I was very fucking surprised, I have to admit. Um, but the moment that Taz's music started this time, I instantly had a major flashback going... Oh my God! Is is this the episode where Taz is EC Champion? So when he came out, it wasn't a big surprise to me. Um, I, I will say that his promo was a little bit more nonsensical now mm. than it was back then. <laughs> but I, the segment overall is quite is a mix of fascinating and also frustrating because. The first eight minutes of airtime of Triple H and Stephanie is pretty much them just telling us everything we've already seen in the Pro Bowl package, so it's was a waste of time. Um, and the only worthwhile thing announced in the main event of SmackDown took less than two minutes, so it was mostly 80% pointless. But the moment Taz comes out, you are watching a sense of history occur um, and having it occur in Philadelphia as well it's a situation you have to take advantage of because you're unlikely to get a response like this anywhere else and this was it's seeing the ECW world champion challenge the WWF champion is a huge moment um and it just made me look forward to seeing the match later on I'm, I'm I was thinking to myself it's probably not going to be that great from everything that everyone always says about it but getting to see it again I got that moment of excitement so for me, it was it was a good moment.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because like you said, it's in Philadelphia. You can't not take advantage of him and Taz on the show and put him in a featured spot. And you can't get more featured than, you know, come out and confront the world champion. And, you know, because this is like, other than that week or so where, you know, he was in a match with Rock and Angle at the same time and kind of sniffing at the IC he belt, he's he's really been kept very low during the cars. This is their highest spot he's ever been really put on the show at this point. So it's a big testament for him. He won the, the Thursday of the previous week. He showed up at an ECW house show to beat Mike Awesome because it was the whole thing out Awesome. Going to WCW as ECW champion, that's a whole blava. And Taz did appear on ECW, appeared on Raw as ECW champion. And I remember him coming out and said, so I'd been waiting. I knew there was a where he appeared on WFTV as ECW champion. I was just waiting for it. I just can't remember when exactly in 2000 it was. Uh, and he was in a triple threat match on Raw against Crash and Perry Saturn for the hardcore belt. He didn't take the fall, obviously. Uh, they thought it would hurt him just when the ECW built. Parker Raleigh got involved the this whole thing with a, a jar of Kool Aid, which, the last jar of Kool Aid, which broke too soon, which was a pretty much a, so they pretty much rushed the finish, so that was a bit of a calamity. So yeah, but Chad, as I've said before, he should not be allowed a microphone. Uh, he, as you say, very nonsensical, I and mean, it was a very loud ECW chant because they're in Philly. Talks about how Triple H runs his mouth and everything. And he uh, makes the challenge. He says he's going to. He's going to accept that because he wants to prove just how much ECW sucks.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not surprised that the first moment they had, they see try shitting all over um, ECW, which is unfortunate. Because then, I do believe in the idea that. Um, it's more impressive if you beat when you beat someone if you if you put them over how much of a challenge they are if you make out that they're just shitty or crappy or whatever it makes it less impressive if you beat them so i always hate this wwe style of making sure that everyone else has to be has to seem crapper in comparison to them and i think overall it causes more damage than it does victory but from Jerry Lawler, it's not really a surprise because he's uh, always hated um, ECW even since '97. So none of this was a surprise to me.
0: I mean, I think that's it's good that he, he started shooting on because obviously he, he hated them. in their last time they made they did business with ECW, saw that some in in and Lawler's character, and it is a shame. You know, they've worked with ECW in their original run twice. The first time was right before, when they were probably at their hottest, right? About the first pay per view. And then he got the ECW champion showing up on TV. But, you know, he's contracted to the WWF and mainly because he jumped ship. Because ECW is pretty much slowly but surely dying. And will eventually, in 2001, be put out of his misery. And but I do like, like Jerry Law's interaction with ECW. and My favourite line of Jerry Lawler probably ever done was when he did show up at an ECW show, and I think it was late 96, where he said, this bingo hall should be made out of toilet paper because everything in it is shit. <laughs>
1: Out of it. as much as i hate laura as a commentator he is very good at getting heel heat he's much better on the microphone and as a competitor probably than he is a commentator um even nowadays having um, coffin matches against enzo and in 2021
0: what's he one, won apparently Jerry won won that match i think <laughs> I, i've heard
1: i think you're right and i do and that's probably just suitable for the amount of strangeness with that entire situation.
0: I <laughs> uh, come back to China and Lita. China talks about Eddie past his GED, which uh, he was cramming for uh, before his tagged match on Raw. Cause he, had to, he said he really wanted to pass it. Uh, and he's warning Lita not to screw, screw up like they did on Raw because S.A.R.E.L. Real's teamed with Eddie Guerrero and a match on Raw against the the Hardys. Yeah, against the Hardys, which is again interesting to see uh, Lita and they on the opposite corner from the Hardys and everything, but it was Lita, uh, goes for a to trying to get involved. You know, China was pushing Jeff off the top. The referee was distracted. Lita goes for a insult back, and only hits uh, Eddie, and that leads to a twist of fate by Matt Hardy, and uh, the Hardys got the win because Lita fucked up basically. And then China was angry, with a took out frustrations by powerbombing S A Rios afterwards. <laughs> so there you go.
1: I'm not even surprised. I mean, um. <clears throat> For my first thoughts, though, in this entire situation is that one, China comes across as a bit of a bully to Lita, which is very heelish, um, uh, despite the fact that she's supposed to be a fan favorite. Um, and the second thing was that I was going to f- say that uh, S.A. Rios teaming with very in China would be a bit of a good rub for him. But as as, the f- as soon as they showed that he basically got bombed by China a few days prior, I was just like, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Um, so I'm curious to see how Eddie Guerrero and S.A. Rios do in a, um, a storyline together, but my worry is is whether or not S.A. Rios is going to come out of it more damaged than before. Um, although it probably isn't going to be any more ridiculous than Jerry Lawler trying to suggest that he helped Eddie Guerrero pass his, G- pass his GED, when I'm pretty sure the only thing that uh, Lawler... Could help anyone with is a mastermind subject of Playboy center models.
0: (laughs) I don't even know what to say of that. (laughs) Uh, So we got another tag match coming up in a bit, but we've also see Stephanie asking Kurt to be a lumberjack because we're going to see a lot of that. The man Helmsley regime recruiting lumberjacks uh, for the Jericho Rock match later on. Uh, This time it's the Dudleys taking on Eddie and Cesaro. Uh, also this is all meant to the whole tension between these two teams is meant to lead to an eventual match at backlash for the european title which again even though what happened on raw uh was eventually getting a challenge for one of the secondary belts uh on a pay-per-view is still i think probably the highest he's ever going to get in the wbf because you know the european title for whatever, whatever you might say about it is still more high profile than the heavyweight title was there's a fast base sequence at the start between Essie and Devon. Eddie uh, has a drop kick off the top. Uh, there's a hot tag in the uh, who then catches Essie uh, Rears and a set-out uh, a They go for a 3D, but Eddie pulls Bubba at the ring, so it actually looks like Essie uh, like and Eddie may have put their differences aside. Uh, there's a DDT and a die to the outside by Essie The die goes for a die, but accidentally hits Eddie Guerrero. Uh, then there's a 3D by the Dudleys for the win. Chyna then gets in Leah's really face once again, turns around and sees that the Dudleys have set up a table. And then as the commentator, great commentator, uh, I like this one a little bit here because she just throws her at the Dudleys and Michael Cole goes, Chyna just threw Leah to the Wolves and Jerry Lawler says, Worse than the Wolves, those damn Dudleys.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. That was actually a good line from Jerry the Pearl of Lawler. I, I have to give him credit for that. Um, the First of all, going back to Stephanie and Kurt Angle, because I I know, I think I have several thoughts regarding that segment. Is that one? I like the fact that Stephanie and Angle have a bit of mild flirting. Um, It's a good example of long term storyline storytelling that's going to occur throughout the next year. But also this is the start of where you you're getting good storylines throughout an episode where the segments can combine and actually build upon each other. And I think starting off with Stephanie and Kurt Angle, uh, with that one is a really good example and it makes the segments in between actually interesting. It's not DX trying to put on Thanksgiving with a bunch of homeless people. It's actually got impact to it and it's going to all build up to a main event. So I like that segment. I have to admit, um, in this match, It was an okay match uh it was more of an opportunity to give dudley boys a win before facing tna at backlash and also to continue the issue with china and lita um again china is coming across very much as the the heel and the bully in this one so if anything any actions that lita does against eddie and china after this one that is again the repercussions of actions and i'm kind of on lita's side she's trying to help out and yes it goes wrong but china is very much a bully because of it um but overall i have to say fair play to lita for taking that power bomb through the table because it must have been terrifying to do and she took it like a champ so fair play to her and hopefully that was one of the first moments they went actually we might have something long term with this uh, individual because she's willing to take the bumps that's required.
0: Yeah, we don't actually get a result of matches. I don't know what her experience level is in terms of, you know, wrestling matches. I know she did appear in ECW for a Spill. Uh But when, when she does do something, she's doing a minstall or a hurricane runner or then again, this, which is eventually what's going to help get Leah over with the crowd that she's doing all these risks and taking all this stuff because he uh, keeps going the, the theme of what is going to be well, the theme of Bubba Ray's food with TNA and that his obsession with powerbombing women through tables and now he's powerbombing yet another woman through a table and he does that <laughs> weird face that he does. And yeah, I, I agree with what you said about about China and the way she acts. And I definitely think that China is at, at this present moment in 2000, maybe she'll get another brief spell being over again later on 2000 before she eventually leaves uh but i think uh, fans aren't really sure how we react to china at the minute and i think they're her and Eddie's any space or anything is officially cemented around about the time of backlash uh, itself and i think a lot of that is down to just the charisma of eddie more so than anything that china does i think over time people kind of like china as well through association with eddie so i think it's I think obviously they were putting Eddie with China because China was more established in terms of WF fans than Eddie was because he was coming from WCW. I think Eddie, and I grant you, think when you watch these shows that did more for China than China did for Eddie.
1: I agree. I think you're right. Um, uh, I think that it was definitely a case of probably trying to give Eddie the rub from China because she was popular at the time, but eventually the fans just uh, realised that Eddie is just such good quality um and has great charisma that he almost by pure force of will turns himself into a face and then china is a face by connection um but her actions at this time doesn't really suit for it so i'm curious to see how they play it as they go through but I have to admit, it's good fun getting to see the early days of Eddie in China, because they really do bring some of the best work out of each other, I feel.
0: Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, backstage, you've got Ben Wobb, Saturn and Malenko being recruited by St. Man to be lumberjacks. Uh, you got got Big Show versus Rikishi, and it's weird that in 2021, the one that was, Big Show was still somehow a topical wrestler to be discussing on a podcast, given that a couple of weeks' time from time recording here, he's making his return to the ring uh, for all week wrestling, it all out, which I still can't believe is a thing that's happening. <laughs> yeah. Sorry.
1: I was gonna say, I just find it fascinating that of all the people he's going to come back and face, it's going to be QT Marshall. Um, uh, I don't know who's going to be the better worker in that match, um, but. It could be a nice little pop for the crowd, I imagine. And it'll be interesting to see how Big Show does, especially like with his No BS uh, style going on. Um, what I really hope is that he doesn't suddenly turn heel and knock out Tony Schiavone, because then that would just be such a WWE move to do, and I don't want to see that.
0: I mean, I told you the other day, like, I, I, I'm amazed that he hasn't turned he's been in AEW for like six months at this stage. He's not turned on anybody. So, you've put that out there in the universe. So, if anything, babe, if that happens, everybody knows to come back and blame you for that. Mm-hmm. But he comes out uh, for a match with Rikishi, and then he first, refers, show refers himself as Big Funky and challenges Rikishi to a dance off. And then, right in the middle of the dance off, he attacks Rikishi. <laughs> and to then start the match officially, Rikishi fights back, so he gets a super kick on the big show, there's a live drop at one point. Uh, big Show tries to warm which just looks like a giant fish that's jumped out of its tank and can't get back in. Uh, uh, there's a small, there's a small drop by Rikishi, which was impressive. Uh, they both tumble to the outside, which leads to a double count out, uh, which was kind of awkward. Rikishi then asks Big to come back in the ring so they can do a bit of a dance. So, but then he knocks uh, on his arse and hits. Uh, and then he just gets Big Show back from the other one by knocking him on his arse. Uh, and then we cut back to Takerango, who's also going to face the Big shot backlash. And he randomly starts talking about the film Gladiator. Uh and then he says that rikishi you know, it's not his fault, you know, that he does dance all the time. He doesn't know any better. But, you know, the big show, he's a former DR champion. That used to mean something. And then he promises, you know, for that the, the people will have a champion to look up to because he promises to win the IC title from Chris Benoit later in the night.
1: This may shock you. Um I enjoyed this segment. I actually had a bit of fun watching it, I had to say. Um, I thought Big Show is one of those That he's a lot goofier than you expect It's his natural personality He's a bit of a joker A bit of a a gooster And having this dance off Actually really suits him a lot more And the fact that the crowds are supporting it Shows that it actually works Um Quite frankly, I'm not surprised that Big Show attacked Rikishi because Rikishi had an unfair advantage having sunglasses and a lighting assistant. So, really, I feel Big Show is completely in his right to be annoyed about that. Um, getting to see Rikishi doing um, a worm, or as I put it, a sand worm from June because of the size of him, um, was good for. Her. And I was actually getting into the match, and so were the crowds. In fact, the only disappointing thing I'd say was the fact that they did the double count out. It was really disappointing um, because it was actually going somewhere and they like oh, almost like caught the lightning bottle that people actually invested in the match. But the dance afterwards was a sort of ridiculous moment that is expected for these, for this situation. And I actually loved it. I have to admit. And the, that's the difference I feel is that in between this episode and like the last few months is that the in between segments, the moments between the matches are actually quite fun. They're not boring or frustrating or annoying. It's a few minutes of daft dancing purely to make the crowd smile and laugh. And it did make me smile and laugh, I have to admit. Uh, in comparison, that Kurt Angle gladiator bollocks was just like, oh, that's really um, awkward uh, product placement, trying to, um, trying to uh, shoehorn that in and that sort of thing. But yeah, I enjoyed that segment,
0: I had to admit. Oh, weird thing I thought about the Gladiator stuff so he keeps mentioning Steven Spielberg, I'm sure I think is Gladiator not a Ridley Scott film? Why are you talking about Spielberg all the time? Uh, I don't know what Spielberg's involvement is with Gladiator, but uh, yeah, the Rikishi the, like, yeah, I enjoyed the match again. Like The double counter I said was a bit awkward the way they did it because uh, I was not enjoying the match up until that point as well. And, uh, like I said, it's a bit of fun, you know, the dancing. Now, Rikishi had a, was well his rights to hit Big Show afterwards because I was getting them back. I'll try not to, when they're dancing at the start, I'll try not to think too hard about the fact that should Rikishi not be as, like, a little bit more angry and hesitant to dance with Big given that he's the one who injured Grandmaster Sexay and Kayfabe. But, you know, I'll try not to think about those details.
1: No, it's fine. To be fair, nobody likes Grandmaster Sexay, so nobody cares.
0: Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, for that I can angle there. There's a lot to unpack with that, but let me go into you know, what cons- could have easily been the main event, but it's right in the middle of the show. Uh, Taz taking over Triple H champion versus champion uh, Taz really lays in with some punches at one point, tries to go for the Taz plate, but Triple H quickly avoids it uh, but the, Taz does manage to catch him with the Northern Lights suplex Triple H sends spells uh, to the outside and is hit off the table by Taz but then he quickly carries it sending Taz into the step, so it's very similar to before I said about somebody getting a lot of offense before eventually losing, Triple H was, did that, I think Triple H often did it quite well, we've seen him do it with he even did it with Takuma Chilko a while ago. He did it at the start of the year when he had that match against Rikis. Triple H can be very giving when he wants to be with his opponents at times. Uh, he does manage to get the Taz without which gets a big pop, but Triple H manages to position himself where he uh, can't see it and hits a low blow. Uh, he goes for a pedigree, but out comes Tommy Dreamer, who's maybe facing facing Taz for the title at uh, the Cyber Slam show that's happened in a couple of days' time. He uh, accidentally hits Taz with a chair and that leads to Triple H basically getting the win. Uh, I remember listening to an episode of uh, Something to Wrestle with uh, a couple of years ago. It was an episode about Taz. Um, oh, this know how long ago this was, how far before pandemic. I was coming back from seeing the Joker at the cinema, I was listening to it on the bus, that's where. That's how long ago that was. Uh, but, like, this back when Something to Wrestle With was good. Uh, and Bruce Pritchard wasn't fucking up WWE. But Pritchard was basically confronted by. My comrade basically also likes to take as a fan tries to you know, say, Why the hell would you have this guy losing this and that? and he's asking about like Taz losing to Triple H on SmackDown. And also, like, as Pritchard says, you know, also they weren't gonna have him beat the a champion even if they were showcasing him, but he justifies it and that they had Dreamer basically be the one who kinda of cost them the match because it was helping to build to ECW show and you know, over it put some tension and and what is extensively a face versus face match between Taz and Tommy Dreamer. Which is, I think is, is fair enough. You know, it wasn't necessarily clear which Triple H wins fairly ever are at this stage, so I didn't mind it that much. Uh, Taz will drop the belt to Tommy at CyberSlam before Tommy immediately loses it to Just Incredible, uh, because Tommy never really wanted to win the title. He wanted to be a guy who just went his whole run and never, never ever win the title. Mm. You know, but I think one of the reasons they threw away today is they couldn't figure someone else, someone better to take it off than Just Incredible. Who, fun side note, follows me on Twitter
1: i think the reason why they end up having it uh, go to just incredible was because um all due respect to just incredible um you were not gonna have wwe or wcw go out of their way to grab him why he's hot uh, why he's the champion he's not a big enough star or a good enough wrestler to be worthwhile so by putting the title on just incredible easy EC- ECW and Paul Heyman pretty much had a guarantee that they would be able to keep a champion for at least a couple of months. Um, In regards to this match, first of all, it is the first match of the evening and we're bringing it back to have been booked on the night and already the biggest match of the night so far as usual because god forbid that they actually have a big match normally booked um before they start throwing extra ones on so this is match number one of the booked on the night section which we always love um so usually if a champion is in a non-title match it means they're likely to lose at least in wwe because that's how they do things so if wwe uh was going to have it that triple h wins it might have been better to put the title on the line in order to really get the crowd hopeful and invested. And those moments where Taz gets Taz mission locked in, you could think to yourself, Oh, it could happen. Lee could actually do it, which is always never really going to happen. But you could have that moment where that sense of of belief, um, if it's non title, which it obviously is, then surely triple H could afford the lost. Um, because just imagine if Jericho the Rock had cost him the match to continue the story of his bad week to tie into what's happened. So you give a bit of a rub to um, a promotion that you've already helped out anyway by having one of your wrestlers win the title. You could then have it that after Taz loses the ACW title, he now could be a upper mid-card, possibly even main event option because of the fact he's got that pinfall victory over Triple H Um, Triple H himself will have it uh, at some point that he'll lose to Takamichi Noku and doesn't have a problem with that So it doesn't make sense to me as to why they'll have a non-title match where the champion still goes over because this is going by WWE's normal way of doing it Now I will say on the other hand. I don't usually like champions losing non-title matches Um, I feel that it's it's detrimental to the overall or the champion but it's just absolutely freaking typical that the one time that wwe agrees with me is a time when they can actually could have put an over one of their own superstars now fair play to triple h he makes taz look relatively strong that near fall on the northern Lights suplex i thought was really good and really taz loses for two reasons one stephanie's interference and tommy dreamers mistake. so taz actually came out this very well protected and they could have done more with it it's just unfortunate that it seems that it was never going to be something they were going to expand upon more and do something with because you could have made someone here and instead after a week or two it doesn't matter anymore so that's a disappointment but for the moment for the episode itself this was a much better, better match than i remembered it being and again, I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, as, as I learn, as it is to see the idea of well, a champion, champion and everything, they did build themselves in their corners of what they were going to do. Like you said, to draw the idea of a champion losing a non-title match. Uh, but you know, Taz is a contract WF guy, even though he has another company's belt. Uh, and like WWE didn't really need to prove themselves as a superior ECW or WCW stage, because business-wise, you know the numbers, they're already far and ahead of both companies. Both companies kind of are just Trotting along for the next year's zone until they're inevitably really bought out. So, you know, I don't think there would have been harm with Taz, Wind, but you said yeah, they did protect. I mean, away with Stephanie getting involved and Tommy Dreamer being being an idiot by costing into the accidentally match accidentally. Uh, uh, but then we move on to the next match, uh, the Godfather. Sorry, the Godfather, Dilo Burner. I, I can't, I can't, I can't do this, Sam. I can't talk about this match because of that bastard D'Lo Brown.
1: <laughs> are you are you so emotionally conflicted because of what happens?
0: How could, how could you do The Godfather that way?
1: Well, to be fair, I don't think The Godfather is really bothered about winning or losing matches, um, whereas D'Lo Brown is, because at the end of the day, Godfather gets to go home with the holes. D'Lo Brown, he probably still has to pay for it. Ah,
0: uh. Watching this match was not easy. Uh, because <laughs> you got just the quarter TNA, obviously you got the bubble red standing at the top I just staring at like, pretty woman. Uh, uh, Godfather and DealBurn were in control for quite a bit, you know. Yeah, a version of a, a double version of a whole train. Then uh, Godfather goes for the pimp drop uh, but it gets knocked into DealBurn. Uh, the baldo bomb by Albert for the win. And then you see, there's are a bit of an argument between the two, but Godfather goes in for a hug. You know, he's going "Only oh, forgive and forget everything." And then I just put D'Lo Brown and Hellcats oh, as so he just picks up the Godfather as he's walking towards him with sky high, and just, just, just—I don't know—why? Why would you do that? Why would you do that, Dilo? I always—I never liked you, Dilo. No, you're—you went right down the card after this point, and you fucking deserved it because you turned on the Godfather. Fuck you, <sighs> but, poor
1: Dilo. Hey, he just wanted to be relevant again.
0: So he'd have to wait until recently, where he became a commentator for Impact Wrestling, <laughs>
1: <laughs> or when he was um, Aces and Eights. He was still he was probably one of the least interesting members, but he was still relevant. Uh, so he only has like what ten years to wait.
0: Yeah, so TNA got the win, which I think they needed <laughs> at this stage because they're going to have a proper feud for the first time. Uh, not thrown together match that they got at WrestleMania, so they needed to start actually racking up wins here to be threats against the Dudleys or or they've already been WAF Tag Champs by this point. So good for TNA for for getting a win here, but you know the match was overshadowed for me. The fact that Dilo Byrne is a horrible human being. Uh, speaking of horrible human beings, Xbox is out and he's taking on Christian. Also he's a horrible human being in the cage sense, though I'm sure he's lovely in real life. Uh pac starts in control of a. Uh, of it. christian he gets knocked off the apron then story gets involved with uh christian and then he gets called with a spin kick uh, there's a cent on that misses goes to the kill switch or I'm prayer maybe call it this point early they can call it anything at this stage uh then road dog comes out for a distraction x factor for the win edge clears the ring after uh, to avoid any sort of post-match beatdown. down very quick match here i was hoping for a little bit more from christian expo maybe go a minute or so longer but, you know, usual Tory road dog shenanigans with DX, and I'll say haven't fully turned heel yet, so they're still being made to look like they're fighting from underneath. So they both had to, like you said, champions losing non-title matches. Both the tight champs lost to both members of their challenger hanging out at back. If I this week you think, oh, maybe DX will gain more championships, now alongside Triple H, already being the WWE champion instead of being the women's champion.
1: Yeah, I get um, the idea behind us in that. um, So you basically got it that with Edging Christian in As a tag team, they are technically still getting the victories, which is good. But um, when facing X-Pac and Road Dogg in singles matches, X-Pac and Road Dogg actually have enough experience that it makes sense for them to win. So I, I kind of get it. Um, I do think that Christian pushing Toy over is the sort of moment that WWE would definitely avoid nowadays. But I do think at the same time, it makes sense for Christian to defend himself. Um what I like is that these are probably two of the smoother wrestlers on the roster at the time, I'd say. Um, so because that is relatively fast paced, Christian has always been very underrated at how good a wrestler he is, even at this point in his career. And X-Pac, as we know, was really well relied upon and um, uh, basically appreciated by Vince McMahon to the point that anytime someone joined the company, they worked with X-Pac. Look like at Chris Jericho, for instance. Um X-Pac's rolling leg drop off the top rope I think would have been quite cool if it had hit Um, But Really, nobody's surprised that X-Pac Wins as soon as World Dog comes out Because we know DX are incapable of Winning any other way But what they've done at least is they've gotten the crowd Behind the champions for Backlash Um, Overall I liked this match. I felt there was no wasted motion. It was fast-paced. It was smooth. I liked the nice little hint at the growing ability in the undercard to the point that you can have these more reliable singles matches to um, impress the crowd. And it is actually a nice reminder every now and again that X-Pac was a reliable worker.
0: Mm -hmm. That's what I said earlier on. I was more intrigued by the possibility of uh, Christian and Xbox from a work great kind of perspective. But honestly, I, kind of, I felt a little bit let down from the way the match kind of played out. But again, like I said, I get what they were really going for here. Uh Shane McMahon back says he recruits the Dudley Boys to be part of the lumberjack match. And then we got a match which kind of came out of nowhere on this show up until Angle mentioned it earlier, but Angle's challenging Chris Ben for the title. Which made me think, Oh yeah, you were in a land, European champion a few weeks ago. You've made no effort until now to go after either of those, tag, either of those belts. You randomly started going after the tag belts for no reason. So yeah, you randomly said, I want both my belts back. Well, I say both. He's not even snapped around the European title, even though he got that first. So he clearly doesn't care about that one enough.
1: Obviously, he's one of those that the moment he wins a, uh, another championship, such as the Intercontinental, suddenly the previous one is no longer as important. So maybe in his mind, that means that the tag team titles are more important than the Intercontinental Championship which, hmm, I'd be curious to ask Bret Hart as one of the best examples of having won both titles, what his thoughts are in regards to that one. Um, I have to admit, I was way more excited for this match than I really should be, because these two wrestle each other in several matches that i love including one of my favorite matches of all time which hopefully we'll get to long enough um, if we continue doing these retro reviews um so i was like instantly because this was one of the few times where they would have a singles match i was instantly excited even though i should have known that it was going to be <laughs> nothing like what i wanted um although really i even though the match doesn't last long I think it's relatively positive in that it's quickly hard-hitting, there's smoothness to it, you can see little glimpses of how well they're clicking, there's a lot of intensity between the two, it makes the IC title feel important very quickly. Um, my issues mainly are with the ending, I'll let you go through your piece first of all and then come back to me for my thoughts on the ending.
0: Yeah, because. I was excited to see this. Uh, I was hesitant to see how the match would actually end because I figured maybe a big show would give, get involved. Uh, but you know, I think this is just a nice, if you've already seen what's to come with these guys in terms of the match quality that they'll have, this is a nice little, a tiny little taste, a little fun-sized sample of what's to come. You know, the best matches in the L 2000s probably are on pay-per-view rather than TV. Even though they do have some sort of TV matches in 2002, I believe, on SmackDown, but I mainly because the roster was half the size so, of had to make up TV time. Uh, but it quickly goes down to Ben Benoit is a great technical wrestler, Angle a, you know, a former amateur wrestler in gold miles. They may have mentioned it once or twice. Uh, he catches Benoit with an overhead suplex, and uh, then Benoit tries to get a quick, small package when but Angle kicks out of it. Uh, Benoit sees three German suplex before going to the top. And then Big Show, rather than going for Angle, it, he just knocks Benoit off the, the top, and then just chases Angle away. And then Ben was kind of just left to lie there with a DQ win, keeping his belt, but just ran him against. Ben just getting attacked by Big Show for a lot of reasons other than didn't get to Angle, but it really wouldn't have mattered if Big Show wanted to beat up Angle and stop before the title. He just could have attacked Angle first. But yeah, it was a solid match uh, for all the few minutes that it went on for. Like I said, a nice little amuse bouche for uh, what is to come in the later years of Angle Ben I.
1: I think my main issue is that I'm a little bit confused with the ending in terms of why would Big Show cost Kurt Angle the match, considering that if Kurt Angle had won, he would have been challenging for the IC tightwork backlash. Which -hmm. would have been a much better opportunity for Big Show as opposed to just oh I'm gonna beat up Kurt Angle. I feel that it does it doesn't make sense from a storyline per uh, reason or character reason. So it was a slight issue that I had in regards to that one. And apart from that, I would say that this, um, this was a match that uh, similar to Big Show versus Rikishi. Um, it, it ended disappointingly. Um, but I did feel that there was enough hint at, at potential between the two. And thankfully later on, they will actually go back to it and start actually building upon that potential. But, um, this is very much a hint of what could be. Um, but apart from the ending, I don't really have much complaints regarding it. They p- they fit in a relatively good amount for the time they were given.
0: Yeah, I thinking, I'm think i sure I'm missing something regardless. I'm sure it happened on Raw between Angle and the Show the helps for their brother feud. I can't believe I forgot this, but before I get to the fun parts, so you mentioned Ben was to defend the IC against show uh, on Raw, but it wasn't a case of Angle costing them that much, you know, Angle going stale DQ because he was basically getting a one-sided beatdown from Big Show on Raw, uh, and then it's the DQ, then Angle basically came in and kicked him while he's down. Do you think it makes more sense for Angle because he's maybe a coward, and then despite all these talks of integrity, but they showed earlier in the day he was on a college campus for helping to further promote uh, further promote abstinence, and he holds a sign that says "oral exams, not oral sex." He comes across a couple who are kissing and then he hands them a lollipop and says, maybe try sucking on this instead. And then and then as he's trying to get people to join his cause, Bachel comes out and starts handing out condoms.
1: Do you know what? I'm not even surprised with, the, <laughs> with this version of Kurt Angle. It makes complete sense. So um, the fact that Kurt Angle is starting to appear in outside of uh, WWE and getting some attention shows how quickly he just gets it. So I feel there's a lot of good potential to it actually. But um yeah, it does make him look a little bit cringy that he's supposed he's pretty much like a abstinence um uh, lover and that sort of thing. So
0: so he's meant to be kind of a nerd anyway in his character and so, so they think, ah, oh, he's a nerd. Nerds don't get laid a lot, so they might as well have him as a nerd basically telling other people not to which will make him look even more stupid. He is meant to be a bit of a geek or whatever as a character. I think what makes some of these segments funny that he appears in uh, is that he's never saying stuff intending it to be funny. He always says it very straight very straight when he's doing loving these lines, like we did that thing about keeping it in your pants the previous week. Uh, that was just, that kills me. Uh, then this next time we get more lumberjacks uh, built to that match uh, as. Triple H uh, recruits Buchan and Bossman, and then there's a the thing with DX and the McMahons uh, in the locker room, I've not put any notes for what they say or anything I just put, because it's so villainy and them all laughing at what's going to happen later on I just put a all caps, meanwhile at the Legion of Doom <laughs> because, because this is just one of those such Saturday morning cartoon-esque villains here, they've crossed that line at the, minute, the DX and the McMahons for me
1: Pretty much, although they do make very good Legion of Doom wannabes, I feel that I can easily imagine them with uh, statues of themselves cackling around a table.
0: hmm very much. Uh, let me get a thing. I, th- I thought we were kind of done with the external kind of like, oh, early in the day this happened with the hardcore titles because we didn't get any since Mania. And this is one of the ones I most remember. Uh, we see that Crash was at the Circus recently. And he gets attacked by the Mean Street Posse, who are all dressed as clowns. And, like, you don't know what's the Mean Street Posse, but then we start seeing underneath it, they've got their Mean Street Posse, like, sweaters on. And then, you know, so they, one of them gets their head on, and you can see Roddy's, like, blonde hair. But then, typical, you know, they're fighting amongst themselves and everything. So, I thought this was very well-placed right before the main event, a bit of, you know, comedy. Uh, a bit more fun with Crash Holly and the Hardcore title before we take us into our main event.
1: I agree. Uh, this is actually one of the few um, situations with the Hardcore title that I didn't remember. Um, so I was actually um, relatively surprised to see this one. Although, um, I do think that the fact that Crash Harley couldn't instantly tell that that was Theodore Long in, um, in disguise makes me very disappointed. I feel like he—he's obviously not as intelligent as I gave him credit for. So you are disappointing me, Crash. You are disappointing me.
0: Yeah, because he's just got one of those like pairs of glasses with a giant nose on it, and the and the big fake mustache on it. Uh, and the fact that the, the the posse put on high-pitched clown voices as well. And for a thing you think is this is an actual clown that's attacking them before slowly starts disguised phase, and you realise, wait, oh, that's Pete Guest and that's fucking Joey Evans.
1: I I actually, this is literally, so this is is word for word, the notes that I put in regards to this one. Uh, Heading, Crash Holly. The fact that Crash can instantly tell that Theodore Long was in disguise is ridiculous. Three clowns try attacking. I'm going to guess the Mean Street Posse, but I love the disguises on hand. Oh, it is the Posse. And that was it. And
0: that's all you need. That's all you need we got a rock promo where he says it doesn't matter what Triple H or Vince or anybody else throws at him or the next 10 because he guarantees that he will be the WAF champion at Backlash. Vince isn't on Raw or Matt, do they see? He's handling business in Europe. Don't specify what it is. Maybe, maybe Vince was, was actually busy to appear. I don't know what happened. Or maybe they're tying it into the fact that we've got insurrection in the UK like a week after Backlash. Who knows? Who cares? Yeah. Uh, we have the Rock taking on Chris Jericho and the Lumberjack. Imagine like, Jericho is really laying on like the whole how unfair it all is about like the choice of Lumberjacks in particularly, about how they handpicked everybody, at least Lumberjacks, and they knew you kinda of knew what was gonna happen. It's kind of the theme of most like Lumberjack matches. Uh, where something gets thrown out and guys start beating them up. And that happens to both guys in this match. Rockets in control kind of start the match. Uh Jericho has a spin kick at one point. There's a tilt roll slam by the Rock. Close to a after after a Rock bottom. Uh, then the Rock just says, "Ah oh, fuck this thing!" starts going after the lumberjacks themselves. <laughs> uh, Jericho gets it with a diving head, but by ben Wall, which is then mandated by Benelli. The uh, the intercontinental title match. They're going to have a backlash, which I remember them having, but very convoluted. Kind of just throw out. Oh, by the way, during Jer- Jericho, Jericho another one the dev too. Oh, and he's in back in the IC title scene. Uh, okay uh, uh, X Factor on the rock basically you yeah, have guys come in trying to hit the finishers but then the guys kick out anyway Rock then gets sent out with Triple H and ends up getting pedigreed and uh, Triple H hits the rock with the uh, the title belt and then Jericho just draped over the rock for the win which I think the most shocking thing about all this was the fact that Jericho actually won
1: <laughs> yeah that was probably the biggest shock um so first of all our second announced match on the night which means it was our new main event so according to that that means our ma- our original main event was either the IC title match imagine how pissed off you'd be if that was your main event or even worse the main event was supposed to be crash holly versus the mean street posse either way if that was your main event i think you'd be asking for your money back but I love the fact you have Jericho come out and get a good reaction. He obviously, um, did very well with what happened on Monday night war and fans are are now even loving him even more. You have the rock coming out with base with the best reaction of the entire night because the rock is completely so high in terms of charisma and attachment with the crowd. It's not even funny. Um, Jericho, with um, actually, took, uh, brought out a gorgeous top rope springboard missile drop kick at one point to send the rock into the lumberjacks, and I love the fact that at one point the two of them basically decide, fuck it, and they start going for the lumberjacks. It's completely in character for both of them that they are daft enough to think we're going to go for it, but I also like the fact it's realistic enough that it backfired on them. Um, I like the fact that Jericho kicked out after the Benoit headbutt because it showed his toughness. Uh, and it's the same with the Rock after the x packs face buster. Um, for me, both men came out looking very good. The overall match is chaotic madness, and I absolutely love it. The Rock looks relatively good in terms of having to hit two Rock bottoms to Jericho and having it both ruined by either Triple H or Shane. And the fact that Jericho finally gets the pin, which gives him a big rub after having already beaten Triple H on wall. It's fairly, fair enough. It's mainly because Jericho got the pin after Triple H hits Rock with the title. But overall, this was a match that was primarily an opportunity for Triple H to get revenge. And it made sense. I thought the whole storyline made sense. The build up to it made sense. The actual um, execution of it worked very well. It also had the crowd excited by giving them a match between Rock and Jericho, which is probably something that they hadn't seen yet and were excited to see. But they didn't give too much away with it. They gave just enough to get the crowd on side thinking, oh, this is something you're going to want to see again. But... Basically, they didn't blow their load with it, which is good. And it says how good this is that even Joe the King Lawler said something funny when Michael Cole says to him, uh, "Give me a break," and Lawler goes, "What you want broken?"
0: <laughs> I think I missed that. Uh, I think uh, this is something that's rock ever apart from his feuds. Can kind of go up against Triple H and McMahon's and everything against like Austin McMahon because Austin like was kind of the big face i say there'd be other people who were kind of being like, attar- attacked by like, the heels and everything, but also they never really formed much of an alliance with other faces, and if he did, he eventually stunner them at one point. Even someone like Mick Foley, was very much loved. But whenever like, The Rock is feeding with uh, somebody, he often gets another another face that's dragged in, and eventually it's actually helped elevated by extension, like it happened with Rikishi. Now you got Jericho walking away, and you he imagine the help? further elevate the acolytes because they are now involved in it who are now then fighting Bill Buchanan and Bossman who for the last couple weeks have almost been kind of almost hired guns by the DX and everything so it seems like the Rock is a face more so than Boston is actually helping other people around him It'll become bigger faces by extension and it, and that's really helped Jericho here because even though he got screwed almost on Raw he still manages to get a win over the Rock and the Rock losing also means that you know, like you said, Triple H can throw out all these things at him. Um, they put a long match, and Triple H again has got one over the Rock by costing him another match. But Rock, and it, it's gonna come in and to say again, it doesn't matter because you're not walking out of the as a champion. I guarantee you that.
1: Yeah, overall, Triple H wins all round. He's he's damn. He's weakened a wrestler that he has to defend the championship against soon. He's gotten revenge against someone who embarrassed him on Monday. Um and he just gets to celebrate um i still to some degrees would have loved to have seen them continue triple h's bad day and turn it into a bad week and seen what they could have done with it but i think i get why they would have it that after triple h has had all the negatives that occurred on monday night war he would get it back on side by actually getting revenge on everyone so that all made sense to me so i really i have no complaints regarding that match
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a case of like, because also they keep kicking out of things, he's also had to physically get involved because he's trying to make it a bad day for them, not him. Uh, but even then, he's started to get himself involved in order to make it a really bad day for the rock by costing him the match. But in a way, even though he's kind of, you know, Jericho's kind of won by default because Kyle's kind of been draped over the rock, uh, Jericho still comes out on top of the win here. And he also, now he has something to fall back on with Benoit getting involved, at least to a nice feud between him and Benoit. Kind of he as an on-and-off thing throughout 2000, and then he even had a great match at the Rumble in 2001. I think it's a kind of weird way how you, you get to their first match, but I think it'll further play out that feud, So I'm excited to see, because Jericho even said, you know, some of my best matches are against Chris, but when I was in WWE, I could never feature them on any version of, like, a DVD compilation or whatever, because of, for obvious reasons.
1: Absolutely, I, I understand the reasons. I understand why we would never see it on a DVD or anything like that, and I can appreciate that. Um, but I'd be lying if I said it isn't going to be nice being able to go back and rewatch some of these extra matches um, because. The quality that the two of them had such tremendous chemistry, and it's going to be really good to be able to uh, to enjoy that on a superficial level without the context or trauma of everything that's happened since. And um, I'd I'd be i will be lying if I said I wasn't looking forward to seeing the match or the yeah. entire series between them.
0: Yeah, we're kind of rediscovering almost this uh, a yeah, series between these two, and I'll take that when he gets. Back into each of it was of angle or some forgotten, I think some forgotten classics that Ben has like the of the Rock in 2000 that we're going to be rediscovering as this goes on. And I hope people don't think uh, it's a comment on the quality of the show, the fact that we're actually an hour, almost an hour and fifteen into the show and we're almost wrapping up here because which is unlikely for us. We're almost halfway through by this point usually, but we're trying we're just trying to do better. And like Sam has said often. That quite a few things that show made sense i think when things make sense you can't really pick at them as much as you would when something is shit.
1: <laughs> absolutely 100 um i think that uh, the reason why a lot of the time we have long conversations is because there are so many questions and issues we have with it from a booking point of view i mean look at our review of TakeOver and SummerSlam. TakeOver was probably shorter than what we've done for this episode, but SummerSlam was oh, <laughs> like almost twice as long. It was ridiculous. Um, I am more than happy to go straight into my thoughts on this one, if you are.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I think, you know, as much as we enjoyed recording with Rean. Rian is not good for us because we go long enough as it is, but when we add him into the mix i think things really that's why that's why if i can take me There's 2000 to be two parts and three, and that's why i was like and even i think we proved even when he left uh we could talk we could go on for ages without him but yeah uh, i'll let you go ahead and talk about your overall thoughts on the episode first before you give your rating. which to remind people who may have missed an episode two the rating system now is two thumbs up one thumb up thumb in the middle one thumb down two thumbs down.
1: So, for me, um, I would say that the positives, I think, is a very good episode storyline. Having the heels finding different lumberjacks to get involved helps build upon the excellent promo package that kicks off the show. Um, Every match, I feel, is either enjoyable or it serves a purpose. And because of that, the flow of the episode is excellent. There is barely any downtime whatsoever and what this episode actually ends up doing is it not only serves the purpose of entertaining the crowd for the night but it helps build anticipation for the upcoming pay-per-view in that degrees it's almost like the perfectly placed episode and i think that the good uh, it's a good main event choice that makes sense and i think the ending makes sense as well so you get to the end of the show and you feel like you've actually watched something that you could say a day or two later I'm with it. It makes complete sense. Negatives would be that basically the Rikishi versus Big Show match and the IC title match both ended very quickly. I would like to have seen proper matches with them because I feel both matches had really good potential. But I also get that both results were obviously done to protect all four competitors, which does make me wonder to some degrees why they even booked that. I mean, they could have possibly gotten away with doing, um, say, for instance, Rikishi and Chris Jerick, uh, no Rikishi and um, Kurt Angle versus Big Show and Chris Benoit so something like basically to match it up a little bit um, Apart from that also Triple H's usual 10 minutes of talking could really have been compressed down to three minutes or less it really wasn't needed but those are the only three real negatives that I can come up with. And I think that's two of them are basically just because I was enjoying what I was seeing and wanted more of it. So to some degrees, that is a positive. Um, I would say without question, this is a thumbs up. It's a very fond episode to watch. It's extremely easy to sit through, very little negatives. Um, that, um, that also makes sense that the timing can be ignored or into case cases fast forward I may go so far as to say I think it could be two thumbs up because of how good I feel the episode flows. Um one thumb a little bit shakier than the other but I would probably go so far as to say I could give this one two thumbs up
0: and very interesting indeed I would give a, the one thumbs up uh, for me because like there is nothing wrong with wanting a bit more or something but and there are some one or two matches that could be considered filler in here. I think now that we know they've told us like what the card what these matches are, who's going to be facing who at, at Backlash every match does have somebody who's got something in, on at Backlash and if there's interview, it's usually somebody who's going to be facing at the show so it does feel like every match since in its own way even TNA getting a one to help them get some momentum when they go against the Dudleys and you've got Bobby kind of working in the background, continuing his thing with Tristratus. Like that even that's kinda of continuing something. Like a Godfather Delo Brown thing, even though it comes out of nowhere. You know that team is probably only going to go so far, so you know, why not? Uh, yeah the Taz Triple H thing is a big like moment I think for Smackdown and I don't know, it's not really talked about enough unless you really know your history about E C W or about this time and of about uh, this era of WWE and not enough people would have really remembered that Because I don't think it's talked about nearly as much as it should be. Probably because Taz lost and people don't like that. Uh, but yeah, and then the main event was really good. And you know it was going to be full of shenanigans, but they managed to put together a good match, Jericho and Rock. Despite that, Jericho has talked about Rock being one of his favourite opponents, and I think matches like that showcase why that is. And I also would, so as I said before, I'd also say one thumbs up. And I think we've Kind of have been more succinct about it is a really good sign i don't know if we're going to be able to keep that up going into the next episode as uh, i'll uh, well, a bit of a spoiler here next week's episode of smackdown, i've done my research it's actually the highest rated episode of smackdown ever
1: that doesn't surprise me all that much um i am curious to discuss the next one um I do have to finish up um, um, with asking, what is your recommended match?
0: Oh, yeah, I forgot about that almost. Uh, <laughs> oh. uh, I'm not, I think I'm going to go with the Lumberjack match. I think. Because, you know, it's proper, also, attitude, I have you no know, bollocks with you no know, match of interference and everything, and people like, pulling each other off of covers and everything. But, you know, it still builds to the really good match at Backlash. And. He, and Jericho gets the win and, and in the main event, which he, Jericho wasn't always in the main event this stage. So I, I, I think I'd say the main event.
1: For me, I'm actually going to be honest, I feel it's a really tough choice. Um, I would actually go to far world to say there are probably three different matches I would recommend for different reasons. Uh, the first one is Triple H versus Taz because it's a historical moment in television. Uh, not just because Triple H is selling for a mid-card, lower-card individual. Um, I feel it's a really good example of showing why Triple H was probably the most reliable, consistent wrestler of the year. There's a reason why 2000 is often recommended as his ha- as his best year. Um, I do feel X-Pac and Christian, to some degrees, is a relatively solid and smooth match that is not only an opportunity to see how good Christian already was. But a reminder that despite the go away, he, he suffered. X-Pac was a reliable, solid wrestler. So if you're a fan, if you a man, I would recommend this one. But I'm probably going to agree with you in terms of the Lumberjack match is my third recommendation and probably the best one because it's chaotic. It's messy. It's fast paced. And I love it. It is the Attitude Era in a single match almost. (laughs) You have the current biggest favourite in The Rock. You have a growing fan favourite in Chris Jericho. You have a fascinating story. You have a good villain. You have a good amount of the roster being involved, getting that rub, which makes them all look good. As a match meant to continue the overall story, it is a cracking main event.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would also say a second choice, a good second choice is probably the ECW team match. Also, an option that floated in my head was the IC team match, but the fact that it's, it's so short, and also the way it ends probably weighs it down too much, despite the few minutes of great, like, technical wrestling we get prior to that. That holds it, the finish holds it down far too much, in my opinion. So, but the fact that we had, I had, we both had, like, that, the Xbox thing you said and also these other two matches that's four potential options between us for us. so you can definitely see why this, match, this Smackdown between us was rated so highly and we're going to see why what was rated so highly about the Smackdown uh, it's coming up next week uh, the go home show for for Backlash so we'll be we trying to check into that next week but in the meantime in between time uh, Sam uh, people Letting know what you're up to in between episodes of SmackDown. Where could they find you?
1: So they can start off by finding me on Cultured Vultures, where I am currently doing a few articles, mainly discussing NXT and WWE. Um, Maybe even one with AEW, if you're lucky. Um, They can probably more find me on WrestleJoy during which I've recently had an article published, which um, focuses on the three best individuals that I feel for Kenny Omega to be able to put over as the next champions of their respective promotions, which is AAA, Impact, and AEW. Now, I did write this before Christian won the Impact Championship, but I still feel that my recommendation is a good recommendation, so please go read it. Uh, I have also recently had an article, hopefully going to be published soon, which is all about a possible all elite network. W- what features I would love to see if AEW did a streaming site, because unfortunately we do not get AEW Rampage in the UK and that annoys me. Um, and finally, I am continuing my Shinsuke Nakamura series as a IWGP IC champion. Uh, which has great resonance now that he's won the title in WWE as well. Um, and also, I'm continuing my series on the CM Punk WWE title reign uh, of 434 days, which when I started seemed like a nostalgic beckoning back to a time when CM Punk used to wrestle. And now. Feels like the most timely fucking article in the world, so I'm continuing that series. So you can find me on those two websites, and probably being dragged into any discussion that Scott needs someone to talk a lot about.
0: <laughs> definitely, I've got a couple of those I can talk about in a second. But <laughs> I have seen who he suggested up for the Impact. Well, I definitely think that Impact option is still a good option to beat Christian for the belt. I think there's some great stuff that could be done there. But you know, if you want any form your own opinions, go ahead and read it. Uh you can see your, uh Sam getting dragged into the Summerslam slash takeover view we already mentioned alongside Rean, who conveniently back us off right before SummerSlam the uh, Summerslam discussion starts. And heard uh, how long that went for if you don't think this podcast was long enough for you. Uh we're planning on getting together us uh, to talk about we're planning on getting together again to talk about AEW sometime in the next week. Uh, if it's not already been recorded and uh, discuss everything that's really been going on the big stories and kind of a mini preview for All Out and then sometime following that uh, we'll get to do an All Out review and I'm sure those will be very long rambling discussions Speaking of rambling discussions, now available on the ES, they're available on the Rogue Opinions uh, podcasting feed on Spotify iTunes and all great Android podcasting sites it is also it is also Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast which also has its own feed on the listing podcasting sites or me and Paul by our own rambling, you know, form of entertainment. Uh, we talk about old wrestling, impact, uh, Fraser. It's a good time. Uh, sometimes we're drunk, sometimes we're not. You have to just tune in and find out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scott McClane, six finder brand at Rogue underscore opinions. Uh, my new series, No Rogues Bard, should have an episode soon with Liam coming out soon. Uh, other articles by like myself, uh, Anthony and Carl are all available at roguepines20 at wordpress.com. Uh, a new episode of Rogue Chronicles, I joined Carl and Liam to talk about the mad titan Thanos. Uh, so, an episode that feels like it was recorded fucking forever ago, but it's finally out there. For all to see, uh, me and Carl continue our trek through Loki uh, on the feed now as part of Podding and Easy. Carl doesn't even know about what happened to God of episode. I don't think I should tell him it Would upset him too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we've got that and so much of the content I'm very busy o- el- elsewhere especially on like Eat Sleep, Sleep Let's Retreat uh, with the show one of the best shows we do over there called Saturday Draft Live where we basically analyse our own end podcast fantasy draft we're starting our 10th season uh, which runs from Big poor pay to Big poor Pay-Per-View and also we do a quiz series every so often once a month. it's called Quiz Showdown and I competed in the most recent one a SummerSlam es- related episode so quiz showdown thirteen, can you feel the heat? Uh, so good to uh, if you've heard my past quiz performances, see if I won. I might have, I may not have. Go check it out. Uh, but until then, we hope you guys aren't having a bad day putting in the us into this. But until next day, we'll see. Goodbye from the Rogue Retro SmackDown review.
1: Don't have a good day. Have a great day
0: questions.